Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. The Verve enjoyed five years of commercial success and critical acclaim in the UK before breaking up in 1995. Two years later, they reunited and released their biggest song, Bittersweet Symphony. The song quickly led to legal issues due to sampling of a Rolling Stones cover, and the band broke up again shortly after. We're joined this week by Sam Gilman of First to Eleven to discuss The Verve and their beloved hit from the perspective of someone who recently covered the song. All right, Sam, so you chose the Verve Bittersweet Symphony, not to be confused with the Verve Pipe. And I have to say right off the bat, this is a much better song than The Freshman by <laughs> The Verve Pipe. But I didn't know there was so much to get into with this song. Let me back up a second. I don't know if this is actually a sample in this song or if they recreated the original thing, which we'll get into. Sam, do you know if this is a sample or if they recreated <sighs> what sounds I, like I've thought about that yeah I I don't know I honestly don't know the answer part of me thinks that I, I don't know like the licensing agreements that were in place back then when this was recorded. I don't know I seriously I don't know yeah. but if it was a sample then I'm sure someone much more in tune with this could probably you know figure out where it comes from well, Matt we Matt can like do knows. we want to <laughs> I was gonna say do we want to get into this right now or do we want to wait until later because this is kind of in a lot of ways, this is what hurt the Verve's career. And they got, in my opinion, very much the short end of the stick on this. 
is that it's a sample of an orchestra's cover of a Rolling Stones song. And they followed all of what they thought was the proper process, and they got approval and paid for the royalties for that cover. What they didn't realize was that they also had to buy the songwriting credits off of the Rolling Stones manager, who then went and sued the band for him not getting any royalties for the songwriting credits. And at the end of the lawsuit, the Verve walked off with $1,000 for this entire song. Keith Richards and Mick Jagger took full songwriting credits on it. And the guy who managed the Rolling Stones got all of the royalties and ownership of the song. So like they really didn't ever see any money from their only big hit in the United States. Wow. God, that breaks my... You know what? It also... I mean, I guess in a way it kind of makes me fearful because like now that stuff is so much more amplified, like everyone wants to keep tabs on what's being like, even even in like my somewhat short original career, like we've I've experienced difficulties with getting samples from producers before and everybody kind of has their own like, well, I want this percentage. And and that that's such a bummer. That makes me so sad. (laughs) I will say my favorite quote came from uh, Richard of the Verve who, when asked about it, he said, well, to be fair, Bittersweet Symphony is the best Rolling Stones song in 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I, man. I would definitely agree with that because I remember the Rolling Stones 90s songs, which is much of like, I feel like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones are always spoken in the same sentence. And this might be a bold statement, but I don't think those two bands should be said in the same sentence whatsoever. I think it's a burnout versus fade away type situation where it's like, because the Beatles career was so short, they didn't have time to do the 40 years of damage that the Rolling Stones were able to do. Like, I think if the Beatles and the Rolling Stones both broke up at the exact same time in their career, then they'd be comparable. But the Rolling Stones just kept going and really kind of tarnished what like their really solid start of their career was. Yeah, you know, it's also funny because you speak them in the same breath, but, like, my dad was a huge Rolling Stones fan, but if I was like, what's another band you listen to? He's not going to immediately follow that up with, oh, you know who else? I really like the Beatles. He's like, I like the Clash, and I like Squeeze and stuff. He's not going to go, like, the Rolling Stones and, yeah, probably the Beatles next. Like, I I agree with that. Actually, we did did a a commission for the Rolling Stones. We did You Can't Always Get What You Want, and uh, we had, I, I suppose, First Eleven is some very, like, it, I almost wish they were here to give their very, like, mixed views of, like, the very coveted, especially the Beatles. They have, like, most of us are split on the line of, like, the Beatles did so much. Like, simplicity does not directly correspond with, like, mindless music. Like, it's, they have beautiful songs, and I don't know how anybody could really argue that. But then there's, like, there's uh, the person who plays bass, Ryan in First Eleven. He's, he's on a different side of the fence with that, where he's a bit more, um, like... Imagine if there was a Beatles today, like, what would people think of them if people wrote the same, like, almost like lullaby-esque songs? It's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. I think that the Beatles laid the groundwork for everybody. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. I don't know if you could simplify them as, I mean, yeah, sure, they have some chill songs, but I just think that, like, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that wasn't in one way either directly or indirectly influenced by the Beatles when it comes to rock and roll music, pop music. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Whereas I don't feel that way about the Rolling Stones. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I never dove deep enough into the Rolling Stones, but I know that the of the Rolling Stones hits, 
I'm just not fe- not feeling them nearly as much. I would I would go as far to say as like the Brian Wilson Beach Boys are much more important in my opinion than anything the Rolling Stones did. I don't know. I wasn't there in the moment to experience the Rolling Stones. I think they're cool. I just you know, musically, I I don't go as deep, but that's not who we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the Verve, and this story behind this band was way more interesting than I thought this was going to be. I guess it's one of those songs that's kind of played in the background of my life. That sample that we're talking about, which I don't know, to me, that's kind of the song. <laughs> the the <laughs> melodies and the lyrics, which when I looked into the lyrics, they're really cool. And yeah, the melodies are cool, but it's that sample, man. And I can kind of see the argument that that, first of all, The way that sample makes me feel is I feel like for some reason, the first thing I think of, and I don't know why I think of this, but it makes me think of like a commercial for like chocolate where the chocolate is really, the chocolate (laughs) is very decadent chocolate. And it's like, you know, like a liquid chocolate coming down. I don't know why it may, I don't think it was actually used for that, but I could see it very easily being used for that. And that's what it makes me think of. I didn't realize the huge impact of this song i guess especially in the uk but also just in general from a critical acclaim uh standpoint of this song of how like highly praised and and so much acclaim thrown on this song over the years i didn't realize that i don't know i guess i was just not hip to that so we had gotten a lot of requests to do this one and like everyone can sing back that melody but the hardest ones to do are are the ones that are that kind of repetitive because you're like how how much can you mess with this song how much can you flip it interpret it and then there's also the idea that song's pretty like i want isn't that song like over five minutes like the original recording and and so yeah that it was a tricky one but when you get into like the super highly coveted song i mean now we're putting out you know, a song a week, it's not as much risk reward, but when you put out such a song that's so acclaimed and everybody from any genre or background can really just think of that song when they hear it. Palms get a little sweaty when you think about having to put out a new cover of it. I can tell you that much. <laughs> it's funny, I guess just from my perspective, I didn't think of this song in this band as more than just another 90s one-hit wonder. I think in my research of the band... I got a little more of an appreciation for them. You know, I thought it's really cool when I saw some interview stuff with Richard Ashcroft where he talked about how the bittersweet part of the Bittersweet Symphony is about how he perceives life as being this thing where you ceaselessly toil to make ends meet only to die in the end. I thought that was a pretty dark and deep thing about this song that I never really paid attention to the lyrics to. (laughs) Yeah, I think I I have an appreciation for this song for sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is a bit of the the underlying theme with a lot of the like more like European-esque like grunge kind of like English beat, like very, very politically charged or maybe not even politically charged, but very just like very kind of polarizing lyrics. That's very like it hits you in the face. And then you're like, that was a really that was a really nice song. And then like, like you said, you go back and you look at the lyrics. So it's funny. I I modeled that cover after the Smashing Pumpkins and the Smashing Pumpkins song. I'm a huge fan. Good friends of mine who have not really ever touched music will listen to like today because it's on rock band. And they're like, man, this song is so great. 
like yeah that song's song's pretty dark like yeah. i would never uh i'd never burst your but it's a beautiful song listen to it to your heart's desire but man i mean just take a second and listen to it but i think that's so beautiful i mean i think that's amazing yeah i i definitely think that billy corgan is a of all of the like grunge bands of the 90s i think he took the most notes from that brit pop style that you're talking about where you just have very pretty medley like melodies and and instrumentation but then you like dig just a little bit deeper into the lyrics like i remember when i finally really read the lyrics to tonight tonight and i'm like oh this is a really sad song <laughs> yeah. like this is a really really sad song talk about sad i i looked a little deeper into this song and something else that richard ashcroft said in an interview was like part of the inspiration for this song was that his father died suddenly of a brain hemorrhage when he was only 11 years old. And he said that his dad was an office clerk who worked nine to five and got nowhere. And then that's what made him realize that like that sort of life wasn't for him, which made him pursue music and a creative life. So, I mean, it's, it's as dark as it is light, you know, it's, it's as, sad as it is inspiring and yeah i think that's a pretty beautiful thing about this song and from what i read i it made me like richard ashcroft a lot who for all i knew about him is he was the hunk walking down the street in the music video for anyone who hasn't seen the music video it's just this tall lanky guy walking down the street running into people <laughs> knocking over yeah. a woman uh just and just singing the words to the song eventually at the end of the video at the very end of the video the rest of his buddies in the band meet up with him and they all walk down the street together because as you all know there's nothing better than walking down the street with your buddies <laughs> <laughs> the video has 671 million views which is pretty wild and a giant number i didn't realize also that this song was such a sports anthem really apparently the seattle seahawks used this song at their games apparently this is a very popular song that is used in england at soccer games aka what they call football games there and apparently richard ashcroft it pained him <laughs> to hear the song played at these giant events because he wasn't receiving the royalties on the song, which later changed in 2019 when the Rolling Stones decided to give them give him the rights back to the song, which he was very grateful for. Which also led to what I think is very cool, that as soon as it was announced that the Rolling Stones had given the Verve back the rights to the song... So many people bought the digital version of the song that it mm. hit its billboard peak in 2019 when it reached <laughs> number 13 on the charts. Oh, good for him. Wow. Man. Humanity came through on that one. That's great. <laughs> uh, what I read about the band in general, The Verve, is all the standard stuff. Like, it sounds like what I've read about, like, Oasis and what I've read about, like, you know, every big this style of music band from Britain in the 90s. It's like the same story. There's drugs involved. There's fighting involved. There's a breakup. There's whatever. It's all like the stuff you would expect almost when you listen to the music. It's what you would expect <laughs> if that I don't mean to generalize, but it's just the same story you've heard so many times before and this song was recorded during a reunion they had already oh, broken wow. up once before this song came out their credentials prior to bittersweet symphony are nuts 
they were like the opening band for Smashing Pumpkins Siamese Dreams tour in the UK. Wow. They played 1994's Lollapalooza. Like they were like all in that genre, but they didn't have a hit until after they broke up and took two years off to like reform and do this song. I, I did not know that, seriously. And I almost, I wasn't even alive then. So maybe I'll give myself, I couldn't have attended Lollapalooza that year. I wasn't even born yet. But I will say it's interesting because my family has a bit of like, an eclectic kind of lot there's there's lots of different influences at the dinner table in my house and it's weird because i feel like i would have heard the verve playing like at one at, at some point maybe i didn't i didn't recognize it to me i'm i'm thinking now that there's probably a handful of songs that i seriously did not know were written by by the verve yeah i didn't know any of these other songs to be honest first of all before i get into i do want to get into we have to get into more of their catalog to decide make some opinions about this band. But first of all, one thing I wanted to know is like, so there's the verve and there's the verve pipe. So the verve means vigor and spirit or enthusiasm. So pipe, the enthusiasm (laughs) pipe as far as that other band, which Hmm. there are a lot of pipes that can give you some enthusiasm. I'm sure. Um, Yeah. Seems little, uh, seems a little uh, suggestive. Anyway, I wanted to get that out of the way. Now I want to talk about the verbs music in general, which I dug into. I don't know if you guys dug into what I would say about the verb is to my ears. All the songs are the same BPM. (laughs) Every single one of them, every single song, every single song is like a plateau to me. There are no (laughs) peaks and valleys in these songs. They are just like what I would say to someone who hasn't dug in deeper on the verve is, do you like bittersweet symphony? Well, get ready. Cause all the rest of the songs are exactly like that song, except not quite as good. (laughs) That's, that's my experiences with this band is like, sure. It'd be nice to have on in the background, um, it sounds like if Radiohead, after the Pablo Honey album, decided to just not get unique and original and experimental and just make pop music, it's like a not as interesting Coldplay, which is interesting because I do believe that Coldplay covered this song, and I'm not a Coldplay fan either, but if you like Coldplay and you want to hear songs that aren't even as good as Coldplay, then you might want to check out this band, in my opinion. It's just, it's totally fine music. It's apparently huge in England. The analogy that makes me think of, like, when I think of The Verve is, like, (laughs) it's, okay, this is gonna, maybe this will be controversial, I don't know, but, like, there are lots of people who love, like, Imagine Dragons. They sell out arenas, and, like, they have songs for, like, (laughs) like, basketball teams come out. But I've never, I've never spoken to someone and been like, what's your favorite band? And they're like, probably Imagine Dragons. For some reason, it's hard to find that. Everyone's like, man, the Verve, like... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess maybe there's some people out there whose favorite band is the Verve. And I think that, like, a pretty interesting thing from a band perspective, a songwriting perspective, like, I was a producer that we worked with long ago that said this and it's always been something that stuck in my mind is like you're you're influenced by bands or albums or artists you don't don't try to make something that's as good as that try to make something 
that strive to make something that's better than that. that to try to top that. If you love Jimmy Eat World Clarity, try to make an album better than that if that is your influence. Don't try to make something as good as that or in that ballpark. Strive to make something, always be striving to make something better than that. And when I hear The Verve, if I knew someone whose favorite band was The Verve, I would be, I would seriously be like, have you ever listened to Radiohead? Because it's the it's another British band that started in the '90s that's in this that, that that's just so much better than this band, but it's in that same vein. Or if that's too out there for you, I don't know. Listen to Oasis. <laughs> I I mean, I, not that I'm like a huge Oasis fan either, but at least some of those songs really stand out to me and have some some dynamic to them. Like this band just. Every song, the same tempo. The, this Could you make an argument, though, that – because this is coming from someone who's never been that big of a fan of even The Verve, but over the last couple of years has developed a real appreciation for the song Bittersweet Symphony specifically. Do you think that the song itself is strong enough that it's just like, hey, if you're only going to be able to cash in on one really good song, like they found that really good song at least? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a really good song. I'll give it to him there. Like, Yeah, agreed. I, yeah. I guess I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not trying to be negative. I mean, this is a great band. I think they're really, really great band. I just wonder, like, what am I missing? What style? I, I saw them described as, like, sort of psychedelic, and I don't really hear, yeah. I don't hear that too much. I hear straightforward sort of indie but also so mainstream sounding music and something about this doesn't connect with me and I would be someone inclined to connect with a band like this I think I think that like I am a target demographic of this band and I just don't know why it why the catalog, why the, the deeper catalog doesn't connect with me because it seems like it really should. I, I feel like also the emphasis for distribution was also based more on live performance at the time this record released too, in, in my opinion. It's, um, so you kind of imagine like, if you go and see like the Talking Heads live, it's uh, one person acoustic guitar, one song. Next song, it's three people come out on stage. By the end of the show, there's like 50 people on stage, like a full fake orchestra, three drummers, it's like, wow, I cannot wait to go listen to those guys' records. Like, if this person was opening for a band that I was really excited to see, I'd be super inclined to go see them. And although this hit it in, what, 2019 with, like, the re-release and everything, um, still, like, when this came out, like, if you went to go see them just play, like, they're touring on their first record, like you said, the dynamics aren't really there. It's not as... Sounds captivating. Like you don't have a moment where everyone's just in the crowd, like with their their lighters up and stuff, and then the next moment everyone's just freaking out and like going crazy. So it's it's different. It changes the, the energy. The Talking Heads are a perfect example of a band that is so dynamic. The the difference between Talking Heads songs from Wild Wild Life to Psycho Killer to you know Once in a Lifetime, like the songs are so different from upbeat to sad songs to happy songs to just. You have so much there, and this... They've done, like, straight disco songs. Yeah, I mean, maybe th that's what I need. This band, if you... I I, I had the, the Verve Essentials playlist on, so this was, like, a uh, put-together playlist of someone put this together who liked the Verve enough to be like, this is... If I was going to play someone a song to try to 
all the songs to try to get them into it. And every song just blended into the last for me. I mean, if you're listening to this and you disagree, I would love to hear about it or, or tell me where the the difference is because every song just kind of sounded the same to me. Like, So let me let me say this. This is what I'm thinking. And this is, again, coming from not someone who's really listened to that much verb. But we'll, we'll think about it in terms that we all can understand from like our own personal taste. Chris, you were obviously in a band that did a lot of shows with a lot of pop punk bands. And Sam, I would say that your band, uh, while you have a very large catalog of covers of all different genres, the essential sound is very like pop. Power pop, pop punk yep. sound. Yeah. So the way I think of it is like this. There are always going to be two schools, right? There's going to be people that just want Blink-182 to record Dude Ranch 14 times. And then there's going to be people that want to hear when they do something different. Or like Alkaline Trio is a great example of like Alkaline Trio. Some people think that the stuff where they kind of went more into like the gothy sound is like the best stuff that they ever did because they were like breaking out of the trappings. But then there's an equal amount of people who are like, thank God they did this addiction because it was a return to what they sounded like when they were 18 years old. So I think the people who are hardcore into the Verve are probably the same catalog of people that they want their Green Day to sound like Green Day Dookie every single record. They don't want growth. They don't want them to expand out of that. Hey, and you're, you're also going to you're going to laugh about this, but there's also something to be said for being there at the time and if this band was meant to be in the psychedelic range of music, then maybe you needed to be there and maybe you needed to be on the right drugs to appreciate it. And maybe the reason that they stayed in that same, that same tempo and that, that same range was because whatever drug you were on, that's where you wanted to be. And that could be part of it too. I don't mean to like, really pigeonhole them like that and assume but there there is a thing like grateful dead why have i never i've tried to like the grateful dead i've really tried there are a few songs here and there and i like touch of gray and like i think that's like the song the grateful dead fans are probably like oh that's that's not real grateful dead that's that's like the <laughs> that's like the radio hit but like i like that song and maybe one or two other ones but maybe the reason i'm not into grateful dead is because i wasn't at grateful dead shows tripping like and maybe maybe yeah. you ha maybe you have to consume the music that way to have a true appreciation for it yeah. and i can respect that actually and maybe that's the same thing yeah. with the well well i think that that's i think that that's fair too because like you know we're talking about a band who got sued essentially for for the role, from the rolling stones but like this doesn't sound like a song that i would say oh this sounds like early stones what it yeah. does sound like is a song that would be on like beatles revolver or like the white album like this feels right at home with like Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles in that sense yeah. of like heavy drum, like a loop going in the background, stuff like that. Like I could vibe with that. Sure. Yeah, I agree with the white I agree with the white album comment for sure. Actually. I, I see it. <laughs> also to say, you're breaking my heart with the Grateful Dead. Yeah, oh, I like the Grateful that Dead. That kills me. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I, it's okay. I, it's okay. Here's the thing though, man. I don't I respect the hell out of them. I think their whole culture is cool. I think if I was there, I would have had the best time ever. <laughs> like, but it's just trying to get into I tried. I tried so hard. Well, I think that consu uh, consuming consuming music now, we don't have to I think even say this, but it's so much different 
than consuming music back then. When it was what you got was literally like what you would go to the store and, and physically purchase. Now you buy CDs so you can remember the name of a bit. I almost laughed when I was handed CDs at like Warp Tour and I was like, great. Now I can like write down the name of your band on my phone and go listen on Spotify. Yeah. It is different. <laughs> I don't know. I suppose because that that's like none of my my like friends. Actually, even my my music community, they're not really into more vintage. Like they're not really into like Grateful Dead, for example, or whoever like squeeze or I, I don't know it's just like it is or even talking heads like that is not something that comes across in the conversations here in a in a music community where all we do is our job is music because now it's like you just consume music and then you 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 move on like you you get it and you just keep so to sit down and listen to the verve now when you're just sitting at your desk like i'm gonna get some work done let me put on the verve it's kind of like <laughs> man i my mind is not very stimulated by this that, so i understand that's that's all it is man first and and i just want to mention i love squeeze you yeah, do absolutely oh, love, love them and this is krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than jake and host of krista makes a podcast a songwriting podcast where every week i'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan, Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Here, here's what though. Here's what I say, man. Just like I say, the verb. This man's great. Just because I'm not connecting to them doesn't mean that they're not great. And also, just like the Grateful Dead and, and anything else, it's like I think they're really great. I just wonder what what it is about them that I don't connect with. But that that's fine. I I think having strong opinions about music is fun <laughs> you know like some things yeah. i really love some things i don't and i think talking about that is fun and i think to just be like yeah that's pretty good it's just boring like i like having strong opinions about music because that's fun to me and it's rare that you're gonna find me saying like oh that that sucks like it's rare they're gonna find me saying that it's more like i'm trying to figure out what what's not connecting with me I, it's like I love the Beatles and I love Harry Nilsson and I love the Beach Boys, but why don't I connect with Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or the Rolling Stones? What's the difference there? Where, what am I? Do you think it has anything to do with kind of a preconceived idea of that before you listen to it? Like, do you think it, it maybe not because you're a musician and it, 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 it affects things like it, I, that's honestly, I had a trouble, I had trouble getting, 
I don't even know if this is really the right way to phrase this, but I kind of had trouble getting into to Billie Eilish for a little bit because I think the way it's presented to me, like as someone who kind of creates is I was like, man, there is so much hype. Like this must be the great, this truly must be the number one song in the world. And that's, that changes things. Yeah, I, I, I completely get what you're saying there. And I, I do agree that you come into it like, oh, Led Zeppelin has just been you know praised as like the rock gods and whatever and then i listen to it i'm like eh, i like dire maker dude 100 yeah. percent. because that's how i kind of feel about like pink floyd and and zeppelin as well is like i think that if i had just discovered these little obscure bands on my own i would have been like yeah pink floyd and like led zeppelin are, are pretty good but like because like led zeppelin's sometimes in the same conversation as the beatles is like one of the greatest bands in history when i listen to that record i'm like yeah, like half of this I'm really into and the other half I could do without. So like, are they really the greatest band? And it almost like puts a critical perspective that wouldn't have been there if I just found out that, about the band. That being said, I do believe that I am able to, at this point in my life, separate what you're saying there, Sam, separate that sort of hype and just listen to it from a melodic from a lyrical, from a songwriting, from a sonic perspective, and really be, regardless of popularity, whether it's a band from my hometown or a band that sold 100 million albums, listen to it at that level and just, does this connect with me? Does this make me feel something? I think that is the main thing. And it's like, you know, it's really yeah. funny. Sam, you brought up Billie Eilish, but this is somewhat in the same kind of uh, conversation last night a buddy insisted that i watch this youtube to learn about bts the band bts yeah. apparently this is the biggest band in the world and i like that dynamite song i get it it's a pop jam but i don't think i got the band but as i learned about them more i and and i heard that song with halsey that i like and then i heard songs here and there i'm like okay i'm starting to get it i am a fan of pop music and i get this i'm not a hater yeah it's perfect they brought up bts because bts is now this your know, 20th century pop band that is kind of more engineered to release singles rather than some cohesive piece of of art namely an album like i am right now like even just corresponding with our team about like track listings for things and it's it's weird because it's it's a different game like Lots of different producers co-write songs now for a record, and it's different versus having, I mean, let's just say 30 years ago, even even like a Smashing Pumpkins record. Like, I bet if you asked Billy, like, what is the story behind this record? There's probably no mistake in any of the song titles in the name of the record, which songs were put where. I think it was more kind of emphatic back then of, of track listing, and you listen to this as a whole. And as far as BTS goes, I must say, I, I also did not get the hype, but yeah, I, I think BTS is pretty good. Also, I think BTS probably has something going for them because they tend to challenge a lot of Korean stereotypes. Like, they do kind of supersede a little bit more than just like, oh, they release a song. It's like they, they dress this way and there's like their military obligations that they have to fulfill and like right. they're still trying to like learning. Like, there are lots of things that are very like... Yeah, you could probably only do this if you came to America and did yeah. it. I think I've said this on the show before, but I have a friend who grew up in Japan who is, like, 
the biggest BTS fan I've ever met. So much so that when her and I both had movie passes and she would make me go see every BTS documentary that came out in theaters, which was like every three months wow. they had a new documentary about the band. And sometimes it was just like a live concert that we would sit and watch in a theater for two hours. But like sold out theaters in like the suburbs of Philadelphia with just diehard BTS fans packed in the theater to just like watch a subtitled documentary about the recording of like the next album that they were going to release. Yeah. That's insane. And Sam, I, I wanted to say to you is that I, I'm still a believer in the album. I love albums. Yeah. I'm all about keeping up with the times. I know that we're living in a, a singles world. I know we're living in a world where a song can get popular on freaking TikTok, and that's how it could become yeah. a hit. Like I'm not yeah. blind to this stuff. But I still think an album is important. I'm all about like, hey, release the songs one at a time. Uh, release six songs over the course of eight months and then drop the whole album. Do the, you know, what I've seen everyone from the 1975 do to like uh, whoever. I'm, I'm down with that. But I do think an album for me is still an important thing. Did you ever have friends who would pop a CD in the car and hit shuffle? Because that would drive me absolutely <laughs> nuts. Because I'd be like, yo, they put this in a specific order for yeah. a specific reason. Yeah, We live in a shuffle <laughs> yeah, world now, though, man. We live in a shuffle world. <laughs> we live in a sh it's a shuffle world. Of the well, that's, I mean, the advent of the playlist was so... I don't know. I mean, very under the radar, but you think about it, and it's like, I use playlists all the time, but like, you give consumers the power to just be like... Yeah, I'll just I'll pick a song or two. I'll throw in some of this person too, and I'll just hit shuffle. And it's like, I mean, okay, like sure, you're you are entitled to do whatever you want. But you think about that, like imagine explaining the idea of like a playlist to some like my my parents growing up. Imagine having a device where you just have any song in the world you want. But if you can get past that, just saying now, imagine you can just create your own record and just draw from any it doesn't even have to be the same artist anymore if you don't want to i get angry by the dumbest little things because like i'm going to use chris as an example chris knows that my favorite <laughs> album by his band is just say yes i think that that album is fantastic so i have all of the songs from just say yes in a ton of different spotify playlists but like i get so stressed when i'll like do a shuffle and it'll bring up a song called the other piano man and I love that song, but that song ends with the instrumental lead into the next track, <laughs> Castaway. Yeah. And it is such a like frustrating situation to hear that build up. And I'm like, oh man, here comes Castaway. And then it's like, I don't know, Gangster's Paradise by Coolio comes on. Like, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Sam, me and Matt are older than you. We had the experience of like the in-between. So your parents may have not had that sort of thing but then we had we got to make mixtapes and mix cds but you had to own yeah you had yeah. to have actually to make those you had to have probably bought the album in, in one way or another unless you were taping songs off the radio or something yeah but now it's very interesting because yeah you have access to literally every song ever made you're making you're gonna make a 20 song playlist for someone you like or for a friend and you have access to a billion songs and you gotta narrow it down yeah and sam my question to you is are you putting bittersweet symphony on that playlist yeah i because now i'm a bit more inspired to go back and and take a deeper dive into it and honestly i wouldn't even stop there i'd put more of the verb on there. I will credit, so as far as playlisting goes, I will, at least I can speak on, on Spotify's path, I can give them a big thumbs up on like their recommended or daily mix or like yeah. 
the Verve radio, I actually think they do a really good job that. Because I've listened to, like, first, this is first to 11 radio, and I'm like, yeah, actually, this makes perfect sense. Yep. So the days leading up, so I was like, I should really be, I should be getting my feet wet with that because that's probably a great idea. I've heard people complain about this, but I can't really complain about it. I use Apple Music. I mean, I have a Spotify account too, but I use Apple Music. But every week they make a playlist that's like called For You and, and I can't help but hit play on it. And every week I'm finding artists that I like because it's figured it out by the algorithms and stuff who I'm going to like. And I'm adding them to my playlist, <laughs> you know, like I'm fine. That's how I'm, fi- I'm finding out about music. And I know that it's kind of a sad way to find out <laughs> in a way like I'm, I'm subject to what Apple Music is recommending, but it's pretty right on a lot of times. It's a lot of R&B artists I like, a lot of pop artists that I like, and it's doing a good job. When it comes to the Verve, I look at like what else was out at the time that this song came out. We're looking at 1997. And uh, around this time, there's Fly by Sugar Ray, One Headlight by the Wallflowers, Paranoid Android by Radiohead, Love yeah. Fool by the Cardigans. I mean, these are some pretty good jams. I, I won't lie. Th- oh, this yeah. was like a whatever this week or month was that The Verve came out, it was a pretty solid time for the uh billboard charts every time we do anything that's a that's a hit from the i would say like 93 to 98 i'm just constantly reminded how solid the music was during that like five-year period like that was just great songs yeah i have a question i mean do you think and i'm this is a there's no like redundancy here i really mean it in your opinion people who have, who have really lived through this, like, do you think that it was that solid when it came out or do you think it needed time to marinate to become that very coveted? Because, like, I, those, almost all of those have been top 100 to me and my Spotify, like, wrapped. And it just makes me think, like, if I hadn't lived through that kind of, like, people who had or had not lived through the Verve, like, if I asked somebody who was, like, 17 when that Verve record came out, like, what do they think about it? What do you think their answer would be? I think that, yeah, that that is important to be a, part of it and have that nostalgia connected to it and you know there is that experience this came out in the 90s you know this is pre Spotify it's even pre Napster and you bought the album and a lot of times especially Matt Kelly would because you spent the 15 bucks on the album you really wanted to like it you really listened to it a bunch of times and maybe if I'm impatient about getting into the album maybe you would have like connected to those songs more and maybe maybe i would even if i give the verve a little bit more of a chance here i i mean i remember so i this came out when i was 13 12 or 13 so for me like i remember that i was so into like my rock music at that point like i was listening to pretty much punk music and grunge music that was like my go-to and i I guess 97 it was like the post-grunge stuff so i was really into like bush and stuff like that Mm. And I remember that I didn't like this song because it didn't fit. Like when it would come on the radio, it felt like the rock had stopped for five minutes and I would like change stations. But now I think because I didn't listen to it that much when it was like everywhere, I love it more than a lot of other people who maybe it had gotten played out for them at that time. Because now I can look at it and I'm like, oh, there's a direct line from the Verve to like the gorillas. Like this was such a weird song and then it's like, okay, a couple of years later, the dude from Blur is like, yo, I can make some weird, like, I'm going to get Ice Cube's cousin to rap over top of, like, a very reggae-inspired hip-hop beat 
and I'm going to like mutter a couple lyrics about doing drugs, but it's just going to be like this really catchy, I'm not happy, I'm feeling sad type lyric. And like, it's going to be massive because the Verve was able to just take an orchestra sample and sing the same lyrics over it with a crazy drum beat and it had a huge hit from it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's also a different context that the Verve exists in now. Like, so you mentioned TikTok earlier, which is obviously largely responsible for like the pop culture that's happening. And it's like, people are getting back into very like flower child, like Fleetwood Mac, like deadhead, like bell bottom jeans. And my, that's what I'm noticing. People are getting back into like playing like their Stratocasters and wearing like very, I don't know, like fluorescent clothing. And so, so I feel like the Verve now has more of a place to kind of kind of take off if they wanted to. It's I don't know, it's just my opinion, I guess. That guy on the skateboard with the ocean spray did wonders for Fleetwood Mac. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, man, we got to make a decision here. Is The Verve a one-hit thunder or was it a one-hit blunder? Did they deserve to have the success that they did or was this purely a one-hit wonder matt start with you i mean when i was researching this band the amount of accolades like i'm gonna i'm gonna just rapid fire read through these real quick but the answer i'm gonna land on after i'm done this is that they are absolutely a one-hit thunder they were ranked uh rolling stone and nme named it the single of the year in 1997 it was the voted the eighth best music video of all time by channel four NME ranked it the 18th greatest indie song of all time. Q Magazine named it one of the 10 greatest tracks ever in a poll that was conducted with 50 songwriters. Pitchfork named it the 29th best song of the 90s. Pace Magazine included it as one of the 25 most awesome one-hit wonders of the 90s. Rolling Stones ranked it as 392 on the greatest songs of all time. And according to acclaimed music, it is the 59th most celebrated song in the history of popular music. And then tying into our stuff a little bit too, A. Sanders recorded a cover of the song recently featuring guest vocals from Aaron Marsh, Craig Owens, Alex from All Time Low, Bryce from Rocket Summer, Kenny from Starting Line, Matt Thiessen, Dwayne Oakham, and Mark Hoppus. Uh, so yeah, Thunder All The Way. This song is incredible, and it has all the praise that you could ever ask for for a song like this. That wouldn't happen if it was a blunder, even if the rest of the career is just kind of mediocre. Okay. I'm going to assume, I'm going <laughs> to assume, Sam, that you're going to give it Thunder too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I think it's awfully uh, ironic they got all those Rolling Stones accolades. I must I'm kind of I'm kind of <laughs> laughing at myself now. They're just like sitting back on the the boards just like, "Yeah, you know what? That is a pretty good song, isn't it, guys?" Yeah. <laughs> I give it a thumbs up. I'm also totally willing to admit that I I probably am not able to fully understand the scope of the verb. Again, one of those I don't know if many people are just like, "I know exactly who that song is by," but I would be lying if I said that Probably everybody that is in my music community would absolutely know what that is. And I bet some of them are even just as familiar with those accolades. And I just, again, it's it's a bit of a defining thing for that era. I would say, like, that is just part of the sound. That is something that's, like, super sounds of the 70s or something like that. Or you turn on lithium, it's like, you can't escape it. I feel like the longevity just kind of nails the coffin in that it's the thunder. Yeah, I think you sold me on the lo the longevity part. I think a lot of their songs sound alike. <laughs> that's my that's my major criticism of this band is it doesn't go the the full gamut of music. It's kind of like if you like this song, you're probably going to kind of like the rest of their catalog, but I'll give them a thunder based on the merit of this song. I do like this song. It does 
puts you in a state of mind. It puts you in a sort of pensive mood, I guess would be the way I would put it. And they apparently have had a big impact, especially in England. And so, yeah, I'll give them the thunder seal of approval. I, I have one question for Sam real yeah. quick. Uh, it's going to be two two-sided question, honestly. I want you to tell us a little bit about first to 11, but since you were kind of the person who, as we understood before we hit record, kind of spearheaded the bittersweet symphony cover and played all the instruments for it. Is there anything awkward about the composition of this song that you figured out while playing it? That would be like a cool fun fact to send us off on. Cool. That's a very good question. So I'm not sure if there's like an Easter egg, so to speak in this song, but I can say as far as the composition goes, it's a, uh, it's open season for the vocals to really shine through. I mean, it is, it is a bit repetitive. I'm sure we could probably find some common ground on that, but not in any sort of bad way. I mean, the, that was, that was kind of, I say it was a challenge, but I really should be saying that was the fun part of arranging this was, I mean, it would just, it's, a, B, C, B, A, like all over the place. It was just like, what do I want to do with this? I can do anything with this. The notes are going to same. It's always going to be dun, 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 dun. It's not going to change. It's not going anywhere. I think it's great. Man, you got me thinking now, though. My favorite part of the arrangement we did was like the the B section where the vocals change from like that main melody. I, I probably am doing a, a bad job describing it, but I think that I think the song deserves a lot more like awesome covers out there deserves a little more attention all right and tell us about the band real quick before we sign sure out. band's doing well we just recently i think in december hit a million subscribers we are kind of on like a crazy streak of collabs right now just collab after collab both locally here in uh in dreary, eerie Pennsylvania. And then also we're doing a lot of clap did both when a YouTuber named 10 second songs we have, we just did dream on and we have some other ones that I don't, I don't know if I'm actually allowed to even, if I'm allowed to disclose them, but then also um, we have some original stuff coming out. And by the time this is out, we'll have original music out on the first 211 channel. You guys can do time traveling, go back in time to March 18th when this has already been released and you can go find out that we've now put out some original music. So everything's going well. And uh, and I'm I'm super excited about the next I think two covers away from the day that this is recorded the next like two Thursdays away is gonna be one of my favorite covers so nice man yeah thanks for coming on brother thank you this was so much fun I love this oh, yeah. this was awesome. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the new song Just a Friend by Concrete Castles, which debuted on First to Eleven's YouTube channel this week. Find them on the Concrete Castle social media accounts in our episode notes. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit WeKnowPodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can help make your show sound as professional as possible. And let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at OneHitThunderPodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network.
Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.